2: Hi guys, I hope you're all well As always, we're really quickly going to run through the itinerary So you know exactly what we're going to be discussing on this week's episode So we started off by speaking about the uh, Premier League Hall of Fame And I asked the boys if they had to select two players uh, To induct into the Hall of Fame, who theirs would be We brought back the segment that we introduced a few weeks ago in other news and spoke about a few um, hot topics uh, within the women's game and also uh, with decision makers within the game as well. We then uh, dissected the weekend's fixtures and had a a bit of a segment on the Carabao Cup final played between City and uh, Aston Villa. And then we wrapped up proceedings with our favourite segment in Prospects of the Week. Stay tuned. Hello listeners and welcome back to yet again another episode of the Beautiful Game Podcast. As always, I'm your host Budge and I'm joined by my faithful two co-conspirators Dot and Dedge. It's been a fantastic weekend, hasn't it boys? Yeah, Budge. <laughs> <laughs> Budge, you're really
3: rubbing your nose in it bro.
2: <laughs> I mean, I was just alluding to the fact that, um, you know, I, I had a, a very nice uh, Saturday um my uh, my family and the misses family uh, uh met up and had some something to eat, so it was mm. nice. Yeah, mm. I don't know what what were you guys talking about?
3: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Boy, this is the first time you've arrived to the studio thirty minutes early, like, it was Shameless.
4: So yeah, man, how have you guys been this weekend? I'm good, bud man. Obviously, um the unbeaten record had to end sometime, mm. unfortunately. We couldn't get to forty nine games, but yeah, the Prem's, you know, coming home, so I'm i I'm okay. How are you?
2: Yeah, well, not too, not too bad, man. Not too bad. Yeah, how about you, Dej? How are you, you doing?
3: Yeah, I'm good. I'm good. Obviously, yesterday was a, a bit of an ordeal. Yeah, if, if you're a Liverpool fan. But to be fair, you know, you lose games, and it's about how you bounce back. And it's going to be interesting 100%. to see how we bounce back from this setback.
2: Hundred percent, hundred percent. So we are going to get things cracking. Um, we're not going to uh, waste any time. We're gonna, we're gonna get the itinerary rolling, and where we wanted to start off with was the news that we heard this past week that the Premier League would be starting a Hall of Fame and of course it it got everybody going on Twitter and everybody already starting to speak about who you know they feel should uh, be worthy of those two um, uh, first places because I think initially there are going to be two people that are going to be inducted into the Hall of Fame on March the 19th so as Dej would like to say I know people are going to be waiting with bated breath to figure (laughs) out uh, who those uh, first inductees are. Um, Dot, you mentioned that the two players or anyone who's been inducted into the Hall of Fame can't currently be playing, right?
4: Yes, yes, that's correct.
2: Okay, so um, with that in mind, I'd actually like to ask you guys um, your thoughts and your opinions on this. So, of course, there's only two spaces. Mm. As time goes on, there's going to be more and more people inducted into it. But to, to, you know, to start um. Uh. The Hall of Fame off, and to get the ball rolling, who do you guys feel are the first two names who should be hundred percent at the top of that list in terms of Premier League greats to be inducted into the Hall of Fame?
3: Mm, it's a nuanced debate. Um. Whew, it depends how you see the game. Obviously, most people will probably look towards the attackers, and mm. but we've also seen many, many great defenders in the Premier League. But if I was to just kick off, I would say Thierry Henry. Mm-hmm. I mean, the memories this man provided for me when I was a kid, you know, the stats that he managed to, you know, get during his time in the Premier League was second to none. I mean, you just have to look in, I think 05-06, 27 goals in 32 games, 4 25 goals in 32 games, O three o four, thirty 4 30 in 37 and o two o three, twenty four and 24 in 37. So this is someone, not only did he win... The title and be part of that invincible squad he's got a solid body of work and he provided me with you know some of my greatest childhood memories so Thierry Henry is a shoe in in my opinion yeah
4: and I totally agree with this I think you know when we were growing up as as a kid he was one of the players that we all wanted to be mm. when we see him score a football goal when we see him celebrate the swagger he used to be like I want to be like that mm. and He's one of the only players that you associate a whole finish with the Terry on the finish. I think he has to be the number one player to, to go on the list.
3: Mm, in the school playgrounds or when we're playing, you know, FA in our know, you know parks, when we score a goal, we'll be doing that WhatsApp celebration <laughs> and all that stuff. So makes so football he, fun. Yes, exactly that.
2: Okay, um, so that's your first pick. Who would the second pick be? Um,
4: it's a tough one. I'm not you know going for this player. Mm-hmm. Because I feel that he's been, you know, the second, you know, greatest player in the Premier League. But I think he's the bastion of of consistency. And yeah, I know he rubs people up the wrong way. But I'm talking about John Terry, the footballer, not John Terry, the man. you might be listening to this.
3: <laughs> <laughs> I think
4: he's a player that you know he's a Premier League legend. In his um, you know career at Chelsea, he played 30 games. more than 30 games for 10 of those years so I think when you think of Chelsea who is you know the symbol of that team and I think you have to look no further than John Terry and he was also great for England and I feel that this is a defender that when you're talking about your Premier League all times 11 I think he has to take one of those centre back spots in my humble opinion
3: Mm, That's a fair choice. Um, As you said, he's a Chelsea boy, came up through the academy and he was uh, a constant when there was change around him throughout all of the regimes, you know, from Ranieri, you know, he was a pillar in the um, Jose Mourinho teams. We remember him, you know, forging great partnerships with um, Carvalho and winning titles. So yeah, I I completely agree that John Terry... Even if he's not first ballot, he's going to be someone that finds himself in the hall of fame for sure.
4: Yeah, like, you know, on talent and as a player, I do think Rio Ferdinand was the better footballer, mm. and I, you know, hold Rio Ferdinand in higher regard. But I just feel that like John Terry, he's that bastion of stability when it comes to you know
3: Premier League centre backs, and mm. I think
4: he has to be my man in this occasion.
3: And also, he's underrated. People. Mm-hmm. You know, just think he's this rough and ready defender, throw your body in front of the <laughs> ball. But he's someone that he's got a ping both foot, mm. you know, yeah, he can switch yeah. the ball and he's reading of the game. And, you know, the influence that he has on these pairs mm. as well was second to none. So, yeah. So yeah, basically,
4: enough. John Terry is what people thought John Stones was going to turn into. Because, as they said, John, um, John Terry was actually amazing on the ball, left mm. and right mm. foot. You couldn't really tell which one was his weaker foot. Mm. And he was a top, top defender.
2: Yeah, fair fair point. So Deja, I'm just clarifying you, you agree with uh, the John Terry shout, yeah. Yeah, it's a
3: fair shot. I think mm. most of the names we're gonna mention are gonna end up one day yeah, or another. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. yeah, it's a fair it's a fair shout.
2: Fair point. Okay. So before um we dissect the weekend's fixtures, of course, we had the Carabao Cup final play between uh City and, and Um uh Villa. Um, as well as uh, a few very interesting results this past weekend. Uh, we are going to bring back a segment that we uh, had initially introduced a couple of weeks back, which was In Other News. Um now, in this uh, past week, we've ha- had some um, news and updates, uh, I guess more so geared towards uh, the women's game. So uh, we will see the fifth edition of the She Believes Cup kick off this week in the US. It's going to run from the 5th to the 11th of March and will feature the women's teams for Spain, England, Japan and the host USA. Uh, the Lionesses are currently the reigning champions after winning last year and are looking to defend their titles. So that'll be very interesting to to keep tabs on this week. Yeah, I'm excited to, to, yeah. to, to watch mm. this one. 100%. Um, and also the owner of uh, Brighton and Hove Albion, Tony Bloom, has pledged to invest seven million, uh, pounds in a training base for the women's team. Mm, very uh, which, good. Which is, which is, mm. which is really good and, and, and a sign that things are moving in the right direction because now, you know, women's teams are receiving this kind of level of investment to improve the facilities, which in turn will Im- 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 improve the product um and these new facilities are going to include a, a rehab pool um a bespoke medical unit a gymnasium um a boot room meeting rooms and classrooms wow. so so you know mm. it's, it's 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 proper stuff um and it's just really really good to see that you know his in his ways yeah, 100% is. so uh, more of the same um across the board from from other clubs um and we're going to round off this segment in other news with um, a piece of news which isn't so much related to the women's game, but the the game entirely. Um, and that was that the International uh, Football Association Board, the IFAB, mm-hmm. released a picture about a day ago on their um, <laughs> on their Twitter account, mm-hmm. which uh, we were discussing just shortly before we started recording. Um, and when we looked at the picture of, of of all of the people on this board, I think there were about thirty people in in total. We we looked. At across the picture um, and saw a very common theme um, in mm. all of the, the, the people that were included in this picture. Um, and of course, you know, we, we are and, and have been and, and will always be uh, advocates of diversity in, in the game. Um, and we we just found it quite uh, funny that there was very little be- and peculiar actually, yeah. 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 But expected, um, I, that's what but I expected. expected yeah. Of course, um, you know, that there was very little diversity um across that board I think there was one there was one woman was she the PA or was she part no because that's (laughs) that's what
3: someone was saying that she was actually the PA really there's no women no women of colour no black people Asian and and these are the change makers of the game that we're meant to have faith in to to move the game forward where's the youngsters where's the young people with fresh ideas it's it's rather farcical in my opinion
2: 100% and of course if these are the people that are appointed to um, create the laws adjust the laws that are you know governing the the game if there's not equal representation then you know it's it's not the direction that we want the the game to move in of course so um, again as always Always is something that we're gonna to continue to monitor and keep uh, a close eye on. So, with that being said, we're gonna go into the weekend's fixtures now. Um, I know uh Dot would absolutely love for us to start off with the Car- Carabao Cup final, <laughs> no. but we're not gonna do that. We are going to start proceedings uh at Vicarage Road. Boy, you're where- in a very giddy mood today, man. <laughs> Boy,
4: this is the most <laughs> excited you've been since we've done this podcast. Um <sighs> Let me take a step back. This was a game that was always going to be a tough game.
2: Mm-hmm.
4: Um, Liverpool's recent performances and since the winter break haven't been up to standard or up to the usual standard we expect from them. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of teams, or you know, would have lost that West Ham game. But I think that West Ham game that Liverpool had um, was a big worry because a we didn't play well. And B, West Ham, you know, were slicing through us like a knife through butter. And I just feel that, you know, if West Ham were a better team, they would have been able to hold it out. And let's be honest, Fabianski made probably three mm. mistakes in that game. And before that match, I was actually doing some work. I was um, drafting out um, a plan on how to beat this Liverpool team. And... um <laughs> I came up with, with three key things. And I think Watford implemented those key elements to a T. I think firstly, in the centre midfield and on the wings, you need pace and power. You need that trickery and that, you know, pace to get in behind the fullbacks. Secondly, you need to be brave on the ball. And I think Watford, they were really brave. They didn't give Liverpool any breathing space. And thirdly, your fullbacks need to have the game of their life. And I think um, Familia um, had a really good game. And I think what they've done is that they nullified this space. So they allowed Mane and Salah to play tight. And they said, you know what? You fullbacks can have the ball, but we're going to keep in touch and distance with you. So you can't get a great crossing and you also can't link up with the um, free forwards. And basically what they did is like, they just let Liverpool have the ball wide, but Liverpool couldn't work an opening to cross the ball and they couldn't thread that ball into the middle what they usually like to do so what Liverpool had to do is now go back into the midfield and we all know that Liverpool's midfield doesn't have the most creativity out there and them didn't have a good game Fabinho tried and I think Oxley chamberlain was a bit poor and the thing that Watford done which teams don't do is that they had a way of taking their chances, and I think this is the most ruthless the team has been against Liverpool this season. And to be honest, when we lost that game, I stood up and and applauded. I applauded Liverpool and I applauded this Watford team because what this Liverpool team have done this season is absolutely unreal. And when you you know you're in the moment, you don't appreciate it. But after a defeat like that, you really start to appreciate how great this Liverpool team is. And my final point is. I know there's a lot of, you know, bitter supporters on Twitter. I mean, after the game, I was getting at it left, right and centre. Where are you? Where are you? <laughs> I'm just like, come on, we're 22 points cleared. Like, what's the big deal here? But I'm sad that we couldn't beat Arsenal's unbeaten record.
3: Yeah, so it's a shame that that run's going to have to end at, you know, 44 games unbeaten, 18 wins in a row. But this game came down to the fundamentals for me. And that's earning the right to play. And I think Liverpool came there similar to the way that Barcelona came to Anfield with the silk pyjamas and the slippers and say, you know what? We're just going to win. We just have to turn up. And I think, to be honest, this is a more wider issue. I think there's been a bit of complacency creeping into the club. I remember the game, the Monday night football game against West Ham as well. I thought the fans came there sort of in a way. Yeah, we're going to win this. We don't need to turn up, do the job. And football doesn't work like that. You need to actually apply yourself And there's one key word That Jurgen Klopp always says We're hungry for the points And I didn't see that In this Liverpool performance I thought the players Were poor with their passes I thought there was no Communication on the pitch I think for some of the goals I mean There were so many Errors of judgement The first goal in particular You know Lovren getting too Too emotional I mean we've seen this With um, Dejan Lovren He's very very emotional He's got ego He thinks you know what I'm not going to win this battle but I'm going to keep trying the top centre-backs think okay you've got me for strength here I'm going to ask for help but Dejan Lovren keeps persisting 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 for the second goal as well it was poor you know by the byline Troy Deeney threading through that ball <laughs> and Ismail Saw. once he's gone he's gone you can't catch him then he got the sandwich out and dinked it over Allison the third goal as well I mean you know at least there was one constant in this Liverpool performance you know Trent Alexander-Arnold putting the ball in a plate for people and you know Troy Deeney finished with a plum and yeah
4: but don't you think just to go back on Lovren that that sums up his career like you can't win every aerial battle but he continues to always go in it's Mm.
3: ego and the worst (sighs) centre-backs act on emotion and Mm. that's what Lovren does and Troy Dean, I'm not sure if you saw the interview after the game, he came out and said, "Mm, you know, I had to pick my battle and I picked Dejan Lovren because obviously comparing him to Van Dyke, he's the lesser of of defenders and he wasn't even being disrespectful Mm. and he said that he knew after the first encounter that "Mm, he's going to get joy because he just wanted to fight. And yeah. that's Troy game.
4: Of course. So he there, loves it. Do you, do you think it's complacency or do you think that this Liverpool team just had an off day? Because when you think about it, Van Dyke was poor, um, Salah was poor, Mane was poor, Firmino, I wanted him off at half-time, um, Gino Ronaldo was poor, Alisson didn't look like he's commanding himself. So do you feel that this was just everyone having a bad day in the office or this is actually a wider problem?
3: I think it's complacency, in mm. my opinion. I think... When you keep winning, it's like you keep winning, you keep winning. Everyone's telling you you're the best team since sliced bread. People are saying, oh, four more wins, then you win it. You kind of, sometimes you can believe the hype. Yeah, but don't you think that's why, like, when people try and water
4: down Liverpool's achievements, saying that, oh, this is the worst Premier League they've seen in years. When you get a result like that, it makes you realise how hard it is to do what Liverpool are doing. And you're seeing it with the rest of the
3: league. They keep dropping points for love or money. Of course, and people might say the rest of the league are poorer, but when you look at the managers in charge of the other teams, you've got legends coming back. So these aren't the most skilled people to take the jobs. Mm. You only have to look at Man United, Chelsea, Arsenal. These aren't the most skilled people. And when you look at the teams like the Palace's, the um who else they're like been?
4: safe and steady hands like a yeah. Roy Hodgson you know what you're going to get from of him of course
3: and these teams have improved every team in the premier league has got a weapon to hurt you but just to go back to the um liverpool game i don't want to take anything away from watford that was a performance i thought they done all of the basics well their remit was, you know, let's make it as difficult as we can for um, Liverpool. And if they have an off day, we can capitalise. And I thought Feo before he got injured, he was caught. He was a thorn in Liverpool's side, causing Trent so much problems. (laughs) That battle was always going to be key to how the game went. And he was pushing Trent back and Trent was backpedalling like, I don't know what to do with this guy. I just think the final point on this one before we move on, I think just... The Watford team, when you
4: look at their profile, player for player, they have the type of profile to cause Liverpool troubles. They've got the powerful midfielders and the skillful midfielders in Ducori and Kapiwe. And they're players that can cover ground very quickly. And I think not many teams have that in the Premier League. They also have the wide strengths in Delafu and Ismail Assar. So when you look at their profile, they're actually a dangerous, dangerous team. And what they've done really well is that they nullified this space. So Liverpool can't exploit in between the lines. And... They were very, very clinical. So fair play to Watford. Um, Craig Shakespeare and, and Nigel Pearson. They've done a, they've done a number on Jürgen Klopp. And as the commentator said, Klopp looked like a forlorn figure by the end of the game
3: yeah but again as Liverpool fans we need to take our meds mm. and realise that you know you have to reset press that reset button and you know we're going to go again and try and build the next run but also my final point on this is I just hope now people recognise what an important player Jordan Henderson is for this Liverpool side since he's been missing with his hamstring injury you can see the performances have boiled off a lot of people before were saying oh take Henderson out of this team, Liverpool will still be great. But he's shown with his ability, and it's the intangibles that people don't recognise, the leadership. Mm-hmm. Fabinho came out early in the week and said, I need to find my voice in this Liverpool team, because Hendo is the person that bellows out the instructions, sets the standards. And I think his enthusiasm would have been infectious yeah. yesterday. But they're just, a big
4: miss. just to butcher us your point, don't you think... This now consolidates Jordan Henderson's position to be the PFA player of the year now.
3: Yeah, I think it makes him the front runner because we're seeing an effect that is probably similar to like a Kevin De Bruyne missing from a Manchester City, how the performance will drop Mm-hmm. And I think we're seeing this with Jordan Henderson That people have slept on him Not he just his ability But his influence around the camp Yeah, because it was interesting Because yesterday I was like Where's Virgil van Dijk? Where's the leadership? It looked like a mess And no one was there steadying the ship mm, It's passive mm. Passive, passive, passive But yeah Anyway, I know we're going to round up now So yeah
2: Yeah, cool <clears throat> The one observation that I made I thought was quite interesting um, And quite ironic I know a couple of weeks ago We had Um uh, Liverpool's throwing coach uh, uh, Thomas Granum yep. uh, speak about <laughs> uh, <it was> shocking <laughs> and, the, yeah.
3: and and the first goal mm, was yeah. conceded
2: from a throwing as well,
4: which yeah, was we which really which is really quite bad. That was a bad day in the mm. offence for, for Liverpool. There were yeah. three yeah. catalogues
3: yeah. of errors: Lovren mm. getting tight, um, Fabinho sleeping, Decore bombing on, yeah. and Robertson not opening up his body to combat the uh, sock And even the Van Dijk not mm, blocking that yes. cross. Mm. That was that passive was poor Good. defending.
2: Fair play. We're going to move on now and we're going to talk about the Carabao Cup final. Uh, City have retained the title now. Um... And what are your thoughts on the game, guys?
3: Yeah, it was um, obviously before the game, it was builders as this sort of David versus Goliath game that mm. Aston Villa had not a prayer of coming away with the victory. And before the game, Dean Smith came out in the press and said, you know what, do it for your families because he's been struggling to get a tune out of, out of the players. So yeah, it's like, yeah. if you can't do it for your families, you won't be able to do it for no one else. But to be honest, the start of the game, You know, City took a lead, and their clear tactic was to feed it out wide, let's isolate the fullbacks and get joy and cross the ball in, and we saw that pay dividends. I think Rodri, he's been someone that's um, been plagued by the idea that he doesn't play many forward passes. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not convinced on Rodri then. He's not Fernandinho yet, but we have to give him that season's grace period, in my mm. opinion. But he played a great ball to Foden. Foden, you know, crossed it and Sergio Guerrero scored. And that was the theme of the first half. Feed it out wide, isolate. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the, um, Aston Villa fullbacks, Mark, um, Matt Target and I think Gilbert, it was, they couldn't seem to get to grips with the problem. And we saw, you know, them get exploited again with Rodri you know, climbing from, I think it was a corner, mm, yeah, mm. corner to nod the ball home. And that moment on you thought, panic alarms, are we going to see another Swansea Bradford <laughs> final where it's like five or six nil? Mm. But I thought I was thinking,
4: you know, I was having flashbacks to the um, FA Cup final last season between <laughs> Manchester City and Watford. That's what I mm. thought was going to happen.
3: But even just clawing it back a bit, Aston Villa have every right to be aggrieved because that corner was not a corner. Mm. You know, it came back. It was Grealish that was combating with, I think, Ilkay Gundogan on the sideline and it bounced off Gundogan and, you know, it should have been a goal kick. So Mm. they had every reason to be aggrieved. Then Aston Villa started to get a foothold in the game. You know, they started to be more brave. They started to be higher up in the pitch and, you know, John Stones, the much maligned figure for Manchester City. People are saying, you know, he's a talent, but he's not quite kicked on. And you know we can see why now Pep Guardiola doesn't fancy him because mm. in some moments he can you know he can pack up. That um, presses <laughs> the
4: self-destruct button.
3: And we saw that happen when he slipped, and that allowed you know Aston mm. Villa to get in. But again, who was central to that? Um, Jack Grealish bombing down the line, creating something for his team. Mm. and you know they got the crossing and Samata scored from a header which we're now becoming accustomed to I think he's got a crazy goal record scoring with his head yeah. and that sort of spurned Aston Villa on and you know they were pushing but they couldn't quite just get the equaliser so it's Spe- it's heroic failure but they can hold their heads up high in my opinion and
4: yeah, that's a nice oxymoron <laughs> in De- <Dej>. um, <laughs> no but w- what I would say I think um, you know Dej um, said so Dean Smith told the players to do it for their families but I just want to go a bit further than that Prince William um, actually gave the you know pre-game talk, team talk and he was like you know go out there and make the nation proud and I think as Dej said it's heroic failure so I think this Aston Villa team they can be proud of their efforts today and they were stopped by a world class save from Claudio Bravo in the mm, closest stages. Good. Um but again, another player I wanna highlight, um I wanna hark back to, to last week and yeah. it was, you know, the England centre half, Tyrell Minks, because this is a player that's you know possibly gonna be going to the Euros and possibly starting as as a centre back and I don't think he's up to task. I mean there was a header that he done it was a poor, poor header and I think it um, created a big chance for Man City. But any and centre-back can have a point. Yeah, but I he's mean, a player that looks commanding. He looks a part, but he's not a part.
3: Obviously, people have their divided opinion about Tyrone Mings. I think he's a decent centre-back. He's not elite in mm. England. There's obviously players ahead of him. Your Maguires, your Gomez's, your, you know. So, um, I think he's not one of our best centre-backs, but mm-hmm. I think for Aston Villa, he's, he's a good defender. Okay,
4: so would you say, like, He's definitely like, you know, top 10 Prem standard. I, 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 I don't know. Top 10 top is probably a stretch. But I think he's he he brings, a defender that's going to be, you know, possibly starting for England. Is that is that good I enough? I don't
3: think he's at that standard just yet, but I think we need to remember as well the journey that he's had, you know, from Chippenham Town, mm-hmm. going to Ipswich and, you know, going to Bournemouth, having injury setbacks mm. and bouncing back again. So I like his story and mm-hmm. I think he can bring something to that dressing room I think he's got elite mentality and that's what's seen him through Final point wasn't yeah. it
4: um, you know Eddie Howe had the option be- between choosing um, him or Nathan Ake and he went with Nathan Ake
3: but again if we remember Tyro Mings had several injury problems at Bournemouth which obviously could him and You know, he couldn't recover it from. Mm -hmm. So sometimes players need different environments to shine, and I just think that Bournemouth environment wasn't Mm. his place to shine. And at Aston Villa, he's found a home somewhere he's comfortable. Obviously, I'm not taking away from
4: him. I respect his Mm -hmm. journey, but and I know that he's been, you know, ravaged by um, injuries. But I just feel, you know, like people see him as a, you know, a top level centre back, and he's linked with, you know, quite a few of the top six clubs. But I don't think he's at that standard
3: obviously that's mm-hmm. your opinion mm-hmm. you know it, it's open to interpretation mm-hmm. but I think he's a solid solid level Premier mm-hmm. League defender and yeah we wish him well
2: fair fair point alright we're going to move on to another very um, uh, interesting and I, I, I might even say uh, shock result um, <clears throat> it was a game played at the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium Butch, what uh, are you
4: talking about shock what's the shock eh?
2: <laughs> <laughs> what that there was five goals or <laughs>
3: yeah. Yeah. You need
2: help. yeah what's the shock Um, that Wolves went uh, to Tottenham Hotspur's ground and and, and, um, won
4: Mm
2: -hmm. 3-2 yeah coming back on two (laughs) occasions from Mm -hmm. a goal down Mm -hmm. that's what the
4: shock is no that was always going to be a Wolves win I don't really yeah yeah, I don't see why that's a shock result I've come onto this table several times I've taken a few pelters online but I've said what's changed at Tottenham
2: you, I mean, this is the thing. I, I, and granted, you do you have a valid they've point. The but they've point, got how many in, how many injuries do they have at the moment?
3: in the time since Mourinho has been there. What so? Because you have injuries, you can't pick up points.
2: No, I mean, this not is a necessarily. Lazy, it's a lazy excuse. If you've got injuries to key players, mm. the focal points in your team, right? The two highest goal scorers in your team. Of course, you're gonna you're you're gonna. Be okay, affected. I get
4: it. I get it. what. So that causes you to concede three goals against Wolves.
3: <laughs> no, I think To be honest It's not a valid excuse I made the point mm. I think last week That when you look at Burnley yeah. They were missing Chris Wood, Ashley Barnes Yeah And they found other players That can come in and do a job mm-hmm. So You have to blame the recruitment That they haven't You know Solved the strike yeah. issue yeah. So yeah, yeah. As I said I mentioned I before They that. were linked with every strike And their dog I think Olivier Giroud Was being linked mm-hmm. Christoph Piontek Was mm-hmm. being linked as well So that's a failing from the recruitment yeah, side of things. 100%. And, and obviously, Mourinho's bought the narrative that oh, it's going to be a struggle until mm-hmm. um, July. And those sort of things become self fulfilling prophecies. Yeah. But just to go into the game, I think obviously Mourinho made some changes. He tried to combat the pace of, um, Wolves on the counter-attack with hotta and Adama Traore. So he went for pace at centre-back. He went for Davidson Sanchez mm. and um, Tanganga and Eric Dyer in the middle of that just to combat the pace. And it didn't seem to be working because Tottenham were stretched at times and mm. they didn't seem to have that solution for the, the sorry, pace. Sorry, just quickly,
4: what, what do you think of this um, Tanganga experiment? Do you think it's over? Or do you think he should finish?
3: I think he's a young player mm. I and mean, mm-hmm. we've got to give him time. Today he, you know, for the third goal, he was absolutely skinned. To yeah, be honest, yeah. he, he got sold a dummy. Um, also for the first goal, you could argue that he was at for mm-hmm. the ball ricocheted off him, then inadvertently felt um a Doherty. So I think it's harsh. No, because, when because when I, you look at What Tottenham are going through This is a tough time for them This is a transition time And you can see that Maybe his confidence is dipped But also When you're a young player And you're being filtered out Right back Left yeah. back Centre back It's difficult, man. 100% it's difficult. And,
4: and that's the point I'm trying to make like, I think this Tanganga experiment it, it needs to come to an end Like I
3: like As what in Marin, be playing in I like the
4: league. way Mourinho's Bleeding him into the team But you're playing him at the top level When he's not ready for the top mm. level yet
3: yeah, but Mourinho's hands were sort of forced. He was selling Danny Rose. I remember he first got his opportunity against Liverpool. He shone. We have mm-hmm. to go good. But I think maybe Mourinho can be drip feeding him in and out of action. Mm-hmm. Maybe playing him consecutively is probably more detrimental to his long term development. because yeah, I think just
4: final point on this one. I think Ed, when you played as as a youngster you always wanted to play in your favourite position. So when a manager says, Dej, you're playing at right back today, you're playing at centre-back, you're playing at right wing or whatever, how does that feel as a young player? Because you didn't like it.
3: Of course you don't like it, but I think there's a difference between youth football and professional football. Mm. As a young player, if you're getting told I'm making my debut, you think I'll play anywhere. Mm. That's that young enthusiasm that just wanting to make your debut. But of course you make the point that if you've got a favourite position and you're not being played mm. there, it does make things a bit more difficult because you of want course. your time to shine in your favoured role.
4: Because I remember when you said, um you know, I'm not even trying to throw shade on you, but you said when you used to play right back, some of the things will be awkward because you're on yeah. the wrong foot. Sometimes you'll get skinned because you're running on your right foot mm. and, you know, your balance is off. So don't you think that's probably what's happening with Tanganga when he's getting put, you know, all over the shot at the moment?
3: Yeah, maybe. You might be right. You might be right, to be honest. But also, as a young player, you want to be going into a team where they're confident. They're playing well. And the type of shade Mourinho's thrown over his squad that, oh, we're not basically good enough. Mm Mm-hmm if your experienced pros aren't confident if Jan your Jan Vertonghen your Alderweirels are getting left on the bench and you know it's a mixed bag or a, a mesh of players mm-hmm. it's not going to rub off well on you
4: let's be honest
3: Mourinho's trying to put wool over
4: our eyes and he's not tricking me that's for sure but just final point on this I think this Wolves team they are very very dangerous very much and so. I think Nuno Espirito Santo is one of the most underrated managers in the country and I think I think like this result shows the mentality in that team for them to go down twice yeah, exactly. to come back and to win the game and to see it out. I just think that guy's doing a terrific job. And I don't think Wolves fans will wanna hear it, but I think he will be leaving that team very soon to go to bigger and better. And just a final shout out to him and his um that's his twenty second goal of the season. Will I remember Dead Jim saying at this point last year that he was probably the best striker in the Premier League last season. Um, on that season and I think Ded used to say he was better than Lacazette, and I don't think many people yeah, are arguing I, that now.
3: I think people, you know, <laughs> will not be complaining with that comment. But also, mm. Wolves picking up thirty-five points from losing positions since the lo- uh, since the start, sorry, of mm. last season. I think that's an amazing haul. And again, that goes to the mentality because let's not forget this is a team that was playing Europa League football midweek mm-hmm. away to Espanyol. I know they lost the game three-two, but to continue bouncing back and delivering powerful performances Mm. that just shows where they're heading and don't be surprised if they get into that top four conversation. Mm. I remember, I think Yudoka from Gold Diggers was saying, you know what, they're going to get top four and it's looking a hell of a Mm. shout.
2: Mm. Fair point. Okay. I've got another shock result for you Um, and this was a shock result because so far this season, prior to this game, West Ham's only win of the season had come on New Year's Day. Um, so they hosted Southampton at the London Stadium
3: was that against and, another South Coast team as well their win Um I don't know as you know that Boomer was it, was it against Boomer yeah, Bournemouth? yeah, Bournemouth. yeah oh, 4-0 wow. drumming
2: yeah ah yeah yeah, yeah no, no, I actually remember that yeah. okay Um so of course that so th- this was a, a shock result because of because of that and also you know we saw prior to the game there were um some protests um <laughs> yeah. with with um you know the, the the fans saying sort of back the team and not the regime yeah, and of course yeah. them them sort of vocalizing uh you know how how upset they are at the management of the club uh, currently um we saw some 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 really really uh, interesting um, uh, you know, sort of patterns of play and 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 a bit of confidence and swagger from mm. some of the the West Ham players. I saw uh, Sebastian Allaire uh, do a, Rabo- a Rabona yeah, uh, yeah, through yeah. pass, which mm. was what a pass. you know it was it, mm. it, it was it was quite interesting. So yeah, guys, take take us away. Um, uh Dej, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, the game? it was an
3: interesting game. It was a tactical affair, and I think you know obviously David Moyes gets cut a fair few bit of slack. And mm. to be honest, I thought his tactics were spot on. You know, he decided to allow Southampton to have majority of the ball. I think they had like 66% of the ball. So that was him basically saying, we know you're going to press hard. We know you're fitter than us. Mm. But what we're going to do, we're going to let you have the ball and see if you can break us down. Mm. And in the meantime, we've got potent weapons like Jared Bowen and Antonio to hit you on the counter-attack. And that's the way the game panned out. I think the first goal, Jared Bowen, this is a guy that I've raved to you guys about Mm. on this platform off air several, several times that I mm-hmm. think he's someone that's going to do very very well in the Premier League and the way he took that goal over very well taken dinking it mm-hmm. and what was interesting he said oh the stats guys told me before the game that um, the keeper likes to dive low so he said it was an instinctive finish and he said he didn't even have to look and he just got the sandwich out and, and dinked it mm-hmm. so I always think the first goal in this game was going to be crucial. Mm -hmm. If West Ham didn't get it, I think we may have seen some of the scenes that we saw against Burnley last season where the fans absolutely lost the plot. Mm. But thankfully, from a West Ham perspective, you know, they got the goal. And obviously, Southampton got the equalising goal. And funny enough, was Southampton's most potent weapon, the counter-attack. And that's how how they scored the um, equalising goal. Mm -hmm. You know, Ward Prowse squaring it to Obafemi and him finishing well. Yeah. Then after Mm -hmm. that, that's about personality are you going to go into your show or are you going to continue doing what you're doing and I thought West Ham responded well mm-hmm. you know the fans were behind them you could see that the fans if 100% they, well done to the fans if they saw something they will get like they could get behind they were going to get behind mm-hmm. them and that's what they done to be fair so you know Sebastian Halle you know <laughs> squeezing it in from a tight angle yeah, yeah, yeah. but the goalkeeper system pays
2: off man that's literally what, it, what that was the goalkeeper goal, was laughable
3: yeah, the goalkeeper, you know, what a clangor. <laughs> you know, McCarthy, like, what, what was he doing? I mean, <laughs> and it was shocking, to be honest. When you're in that lowly position, you need people to be doing their jobs effectively. And, you know, yeah, go on. Yeah,
4: yeah I just feel... Um I think the last week in this West Ham's um, development has been really important. I think not not just on the pitch, but I think mentally. And I think there was a lot of uh, you know backlash after the performance against Manchester City, and then they came to Liverpool and showed a brave showing. And then it was all about this. This was their cup final. Mm. This was their you know last hope. I think if they lost this, they were definitely going to go down. And I think you really have to applaud the mentality in that team because they could have easily, you know, gone into their shell after that Liverpool defeat. And I think the key difference with, was that they got players close to Halla. And there's too many times this season that I've seen Halla, you know, cut um, an isolated figure up front by himself. Mm-hmm. But I think, you know, the, the addition of Bowen has been really important to, you know, running behind. And he's... Someone that can play off of Hala. And I think Antonio, he's another key, you know, pillar in that team. And it's so funny because that was only Antonio's second goal of the season. Yeah. And it feels like I've seen his name on the score sheet so yeah, many yeah, times. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, um, it's a great win. And I think if West Ham continue to play to that standard, um, until the end of the season, I think they are going to stay up. But I think they still need to get some big results against the top teams that they've. Got coming up in the next few weeks, in my opinion.
3: You also, shout out to um, Pablo Fornells as well. Mm. He was a big fawn in um, Southampton's opposition, yeah, providing yeah, yeah. two assists. And he's someone that was built high. I remember 100%. the Euros before the season started; everyone had massive, you know, hopes for him. And 100%. so far, he's failed to deliver. Mm. But mm-hmm. that was a good showing for him, and hopefully, long may it continue. But from a Southampton perspective, just to round off, that's you know, free. Defeats in their last four games, so they've had this upturn in form, and now they seem to be plateauing. Mm-hmm. Obviously, I think they're safe anyway. I think they've got enough points that will give them that buffer to stay up. But mm-hmm. it's just one to note.
4: And that was yeah. West Ham's um, third win in their last fourteen games. Real relegation form, but mm. you've got to start from somewhere.
2: <laughs> yeah, hundred yeah. percent. Thanks for that, guys. We're going to move on now. Um, Another quite. Uh, interesting game was the the, or the one played between Everton and, Un, and United at Goodison Park, which ended uh, at 1-1. Uh, An early uh, David De Gea clanger uh, and Calvert um, Lewin a, a goal. And um, Bruno Fernandes scored, but really and truly, it should have been a, a goal that was easy to save for Pickford. So clangers from both goalkeepers. I say that also, though, however... Um, I don't know if they redeemed themselves, but they did actually pull off both of them. That is, uh, Pickford and Tehaya, yeah. pulled off some really, really good saves, um, after those, uh, moments of madness from, from them. Um, and then, of course, we had in, in, you know, in, in, uh, injury time, uh, the, the goal from, um, Everton that was, yeah. uh, that was chalked off because of VAR. And we saw, of course, at the end of the game, uh, Ancelotti receiving, uh, the red card. I think he was, he just blown his lid and he was mm. just so normally, uh, just no, normally mm. a calm figure as well normally a calm
4: figure you don't expect um, that from, from Angelotti he's someone all. that's you know usually coolness personified
2: 100% um, so what are your thoughts on, on on the game guys maybe we should start with the, the, the goal that was chalked off uh, was it was it um, uh, you know was it a goal or should was it rightfully was it rightfully chalked off I, I think, think the view.
3: ruling is like if the goalkeeper's vision is impaired by mm. the offside party what it looked like David De Gea was going the wrong way already Mm. so it's a bit of a subjective view in my opinion if
4: if, if the Man United players never reacted like that that goal wasn't getting chalked off so the referee actually bottled it
3: yeah it was Mm. a it was a touch and goal decision from me but I think it should have been given in my Mm -hmm. opinion I think it was a legitimate goal and you know Everton can feel rightly you know aggrieved by Mm. it and I think that's why Ancelotti voiced these concerns and his opinion to to the official and and got sent off. So <laughs> I'm not sure what that what does that mean. Well, Is yeah, it banned for three games, games? I'm right. sure we'll um, some mean?
4: sort of you know touchline ban because if a referee see, receives a red card, they, they get he's going to be sent off for his next game. Mm. But sorry, just to interject, what I would say, I think that was um, two evenly matched teams. I think um both teams are you know similar places in their development. um Just a quick point on the goalkeepers. I think Pickford is not good enough. And I think David De Gea is now not good enough for the top level because I think he's passed it. Um, I don't think any of the teams deserve to win the match. I think Mm. both teams had spells in the game where they were on top. I think the two um, Portuguese midfielders were really influential on the game and Bruno Fernandes and Gomez. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm really happy and glad to see Gomez back after that, you know, nasty, nasty -hmm. nasty ankle injury Mm -hmm. that, you know, almost curtailed his career. So for him to be playing at such a high level so quickly after that injury just shows again about the player's mentality. And Mm -hmm. I think...
3: Also credit the staff at Everton as well. Yeah, Mm -hmm.
4: and he's a player that I feel that can get to the top level because... He always showed promise. I remember when he was at Valencia, I used to harp on about him. I mm. used to ring Dead and say, Dead, this Andre Gomez, he's gonna be a world class player. Mm. He's gonna get a move to a Barcelona or Real Madrid and he got that move to Barcelona and obviously it didn't work out. But now he's at a platform in Everton where he can show his ability on mm. a weekly basis and I feel that in the next two years he'll be playing for a top six club, in my opinion.
3: Wow, that's mm, a good um, interesting. interesting game. Um I think Man United unbeaten in eight games so they're on a bit of a run but I think Bruno Fernandes the difference he's made in this team is absolutely it's clear for everyone to see he's so positive he likes taking a risk he doesn't mind shooting and missing but will keep trying you know the ball to Martial he kept trying to thread it through it didn't happen at times but this is someone that you can see he's got that swagger he's got that presence about Mm -hmm. him that you know I'm a top player I belong here I'm going to do my job Mm -hmm. I'm not changing for anyone and even I read a piece before the game saying that the um, the staff at Carrington were very very impressed with his fitness levels and even a bit surprised by his quality Mm -hmm. and how well he's gelled into the squad so I think once Rashford's fit I think them to have a very, yes. very good relationship yeah, because Rashford's that. got that penetrative runs mm-hmm. and um, Fernandes will find him. And even if you add Pogba to the fold, if he gets fit soon, I think Man United can, you know, mount a challenge mm-hmm. for that top four mm-hmm. spot. What
4: there do you think Bruno Fernandes and Pogba can play together?
3: I think they can. I think they can play together. I think now when you look at the central midfielders that Man United have, obviously Scott McTominay, Fred... Mm-hmm. Bruno. I think there's something you can do. There's a combination of trio you can do with Bruno, Pogba and mm-hmm. McTominay, maybe mm-hmm. just sitting in that base and letting them, mm-hmm. you know, dictate play. I think they definitely can play together. Mm-hmm. So um yeah, obviously honors even. Probably both teams will wanna win to so obviously mm-hmm. assert their strength for a top four position, but again it's a result I expected.
2: Fair point. Okay, we're going to move on now. Just in the interest of time, um, looking at the looking at the the, the, the clock, we don't have uh, too much time left, so we've got to sort of speed through uh, the remaining fixtures. Um, we're going to start off with um, the game at the Vitality, uh, Bournemouth and Chelsea two two. Um, don't take us away on this one.
4: Yeah, this is interesting because I remember you know at the beginning of the season, I was saying that Frank Lampard needs to learn quick because I was very critical of his approach, and I think. Uh, I'm starting to be justified because I think this Chelsea team have been you know on a poor, poor run of form and if the teams behind them wasn't so bad there should be nowhere near the top mm. four as things stand and I think the performance in midweek against Bayern Munich was, was embarrassing in my opinion yes, I know that Bayern Munich are a better team than you that doesn't mean you go and get dispatched free now at your home ground and let's be honest if this was any other manager they'll be under serious scrutiny
3: but I think another thing we need to bear in mind is before the season we all know the limitations that Chelsea Mm. had in the transfer market and they didn't even address those issues in January as well so I think yes you can criticise Lampard for some of the individual decisions he's made but when you look at it holistically he's still doing a great job Mm -hmm. but we do also have to bear in mind the fact that Chelsea had a nine point cushion in November in the top four and that gap has very very quickly diminished mm, evaporated mm. yeah and when you look at it, um, 23 shots on goal it's a running theme this season for Chelsea getting the chances but mm. not being able to convert and I think Alonso had the most shots on target for, you know, Chelsea yeah, against yeah, yeah. Bournemouth. And when your left wing backs having majority of the chances, I think that sparks a concern. And mm. even Lampard alluded to it after the game saying, yeah, my, my fullback got two goals, but he would rather a striker or an attacker get those goals. So mm. I think, again, Chelsea's a work in progress. We all know Lampard's in these embryonic stages. They're going to take some knocks and bruises. Mm. This week's been a bit of a difficult one you know midweek they just got fully they got taken to school Mm -hmm. you know they got destroyed by Bayern Munich they got showed prime time elite football (laughs) and that's what happens when you're not prepared and when you're not at your game so I think from a Bournemouth perspective I think they showed fight I think that second goal, the Alonso equaliser could have been avoided. Mm-hmm. I would have liked Ramsdale to push it out wide. I think he kept the ball in play where it gave Alonso the chance. Yeah, but and also, the, Ryan Fraser as well was sleeping. The, the I, help.
4: I actually watched that game and I think it got to the point where Bournemouth was so stretched you can just see the goal coming so if it didn't come that way it was going to come two minutes later honestly they were dead on their feet
3: mm, mm. but a positive for Bournemouth as well is they're starting to look more like their old self mm. they're yeah, creating yeah, chances yeah. they look well full of life. Mm. I think mm. there's a
2: second goal for, for Bournemouth that was well worked
4: just, yeah. f- just final point on this one I think that Chelsea performance is indicative of their season. They have spells in games where they look, you know, like a top four team. And then they have other spells in the game when they look like a relegation candidate. Mm. And I mean, some of their defending, is schoolboy, Tomori. Mm. I can see why he's been out of the team for a long time because he was he was a ticking time bomb. Mm.
3: I, I have he's to be totally down, honest. I, I understand. He's got, he's early, got mistakes doors, in his game, but, but again, I understand when you're a, a Rhythm Rhythm is so important If you're just thrown while. Into the mm. team You can't just suspect Bang I've got my form mm-hmm. It takes games To grow into um
4: yeah, But I just feel that With Lampard There's too many rookie errors And I think let's be honest we go light on Frank Lampard we need to keep the same energy because if this was Oli we'll be scathing so I've got to keep mm. the same energy and Lampard but hasn't Lampard's been good had,
3: enough he's had limitations that not adding to the squad imagine not adding in the summer and in January to your playing staff and losing your best player it's
4: difficult 100% agree with that but the point I'm trying to make is that at the beginning of the season when Mason Mount was on form when Tammy Abraham was on form people are coming out saying that they've got the best young talents in the country they've got all these generational players so now we when it's going wrong, you can't now say they're young players because if they're generational, what generational means is that they perform week in, week out.
3: I think where Lampard's got it wrong is maybe his minutes and -hmm. management of Tammy Abraham. Mm -hmm. I think maybe a few weeks ago I was speaking about Vardy and Abraham playing the most minutes of strikers Mm -hmm. and there's no surprise to see both of them are out with, you know, muscle injury and Mm -hmm. um, ankle injury and Tammy Abraham, again, this is his first season at Elite Football. So he's had a great season but he needs help and probably Lampard's under-utilisation of Giroud is yeah. what's come back to bite him in the bum. And just, just
4: final point on this one. Sorry, but I know we mm. need to move on because of time. I think some of Lampard's management has been very, very poor. Let's be honest. He's given Giroud a chance because he now has to give Giroud a chance because Bashwai was so poor. Um, Tammy Abraham has been, you know, riddled with injuries recently, and I think the management of Engalo Conte has been very, very bad. He rushed him back on several occasions, and now he's out with a nasty niggle.
3: Mm, we've seen that a lot. Mm. Unfortunate.
2: All right, we move on. Um, next, we look at another interesting and shocks uh, result. Um, Norwich beat Leicester one nil at Carrow Road. It was you know there was a goal um, uh, from and uh, Acho which was talked off by mm, uh, I'm not Var sure again. About that. that was it, a... of course he mm. was another one of those, isn't it? Mm. Do you want do you want to take us away on that? that yeah, game?
3: Friday night football. Mm. I mean, this was a must win for Norwich, non negotiable, mm. and they approached the game in that way. I thought you know everyone to a man gave in a great performance, and I think Leicester they were damaged by not having Jamie Vardy he's their key pillar mm. in that team and also Wilfred Ndidi I'll actually make an argument to the fact that Ndidi is their most important player I think the mm. screen that he offers the back or the defenders and the licence that he offers James Madison going forward mm. I think he's very very important in covering the spaces
4: I remember you saying you know you look at on you. how do you think he performed on Friday?
3: Um, I thought it was okay I thought it was decent to be honest but I think the whole Leicester team it was a performance that promised a lot but delivered little Mm -hmm. I thought they were going to go there and say you know what we're back but as I mentioned I think Brendan Rodgers he's a confidence manager and you can see right now he's not in confident spirit you can see mm-hmm. in his body language and it's a reflection of his team mm-hmm. because this um, Leicester team the spark has gone I remember when I used to watch them and mm-hmm. say, I'm watching elite football here top three top four football and now they just look like a standard you know mid-table team wait so mm-hmm. Doug
4: when you say confidence manager obviously I'm used to the term confidence
3: player so mm-hmm. when
4: you say confidence manager can you just what do you mean by that because I'm sure a lot of the listeners will want you to expand on that
3: yeah so he's a manager in my opinion that can go on a streak he can win seven, eight, nine games mm-hmm. which is all well and good and he'll come out in front of the TV and you think wow this guy actually knows what he's doing <laughs> yeah, this is yeah. a masterclass <laughs> I- I'm fully sold on what he's yeah, saying yeah. <laughs> But at the moment, he has some bumps and bruises. Is, it becomes much more difficult for him, and you start to see him maybe panic mm. and make some odd decisions, and you think, mm, "Has he really cracked under the pressure?" Mm. But make no mistake, Leicester have had a brilliant season so yes, far. I think they're yes. gonna they're gonna consolidate that top four. Mm-hmm. But I think going forward, it's gonna be interesting to keep an eye on on, on this Brendan Rodgers project because people before have said, "Ah, oh, he's an elite manager." I think he's a good manager. But I don't think he's that great manager that people are billing him out to be. What so you think he's like good to very good? Yes, I'll put okay. him in that neighbourhood.
4: I think just final point on this one, I just want to touch on Norwich. And it's funny because they're like the best, worst team I've seen in the Premier League, if that yeah. makes sense. I mm-hmm. get okay, exactly what um, you mean. Like when you look at them individually in terms of, you know, their player profiles. The amount of quality they have in that team, it kind of baffles you as Mm. to why they're at the bottom because they've got so much quality. I can at least, you know, mention five players that will walk into Premier League clubs Mm. right now. You know the
3: problem with Norwich, they're like a under twenty three team. They do so much good stuff. Mm. You'd be like, oh, it's pleasing on the eye, Mm -hmm. but you just know that mistake Mm. is around the corner. But Mm. sorry, though.
4: Yeah, but again, that was a game where they didn't make any mistakes, Mm -hmm. and you can see them, you know, get a big result and i think you know just as like what you said you watch Norris so many times and you see them crippled with with mistakes you know mm. just making school boy rookie errors but i think i mean that that strike from jamal lewis the way he just cut across the mm. ball and you know slotted it past is on that yeah. that was one of the the goals of the month Um, so yeah it's, it's a great result for and Norris. just
3: to, to pinpoint Ben Chilwell finally I thought it was poor defend- poor defending again and we're mm. starting to see this a lot with him 1v1s he's getting beat I mean Max Aaron's for me beat him far too quickly mm. and as Dot said the Northern Ireland international Jamal Lewis just cutting across and that daisy cut that swaz that he put mm. on the ball was you know too much for michael, but again Daniel Fark he's come out in the press and said we're not waving any white flag We Mm. believe we can stay up. And it was quite poignant on the 15-year anniversary of Delia Smith's Where Are You? You know, Mm. that Norwich mustered up the win. And it's no surprise that they've beaten, you know, so many top teams this season. Mm. You know, beating Manchester City, going away to Everton and now beating Leicester. Because if they can package their game well on one night, Mm. they can beat anyone.
4: And I think, um, finally, just to piggy bank off of um, Deji's point, I think that sort of, you know, mentality comes from the sporting director, Stuart Webber, who I'm Mm -hmm. a massive fan of. And I think he's created, you know, some sort of ambience and a culture in the club where everyone works together. And even if, you know, they are going to get relegated, they're going to work as one and, you know, give their best efforts in every single game. So well done Mm -hmm. to Norwich. I really like that club.
3: And then the inclusion of um, Buendia was big to them winning as well. I think Mm. it's a bit odd that Mm. he's been left out of the Norwich starting lineups because he's their sort of chief creator in the middle. So it was was, good to see him That was a
4: weird one from Daniel Farke, you know, kind of like, you know, calling him out and and criticising him. You don't expect that. But to be honest, he did get a tune out of him on Friday night.
2: Mm. that's also interesting because another player that i was surprised to see excluded from the starting 11 uh this weekend was uh saint maximan from the newcastle um starting 11 um now Dot, i'm going to go to you and ask you to um uh, share your thoughts on this game. It was a a, 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 a nil nil draw mm. between Newcastle and Burnley at St James's Park, mm. um, and very resolute defending from Burnley, led yeah. by uh, uh, James Tarkowski. Uh, what are your thoughts on the game? <laughs> Another player that I think is superior to um, Tyrone
4: Mings. Um, I think it was a drab match. And, you know, two defensive teams. You know that usually want to counter-attack or, you know, score from set pieces. And I feel um, Newcastle didn't just have, you know, the quality to break down a very resolute and stubborn Burnley. Um, I think both teams will be happy with the result. Mm. Um, And not much else to say about that game. It was a drab match to Mm. to say the least.
2: (laughs) Fair point. Um, And just to wrap things up then in terms of the fixtures... Uh, Brighton hosted Palace um, at the Amex and, and, and Palace um, took all three points uh, courtesy of a goal uh, from from IU. Um, and and so, Dej, let us know what your thoughts on, on that game were.
3: Yeah, the um, M23 derby. You know, this is a rivalry that's been going on since the 1970s. And there was another stat, you know, Roy Hodgson's 100th Premier League game. Obviously winning thirty four of the games. But um this game was very, very interesting for me. Obviously Palace have had a recent hoodoo going to the yeah. Amex, not yeah. winning in like seven years. So for them to get the three points was very, very good for their, you know, um survival stakes and it was a game where I think Brighton had the most record shots on target, I think 24, which is the most they've ever had in a mm. Premier League game. But again, it's that lacking, that cutting edge. I think they're a team that their playing style is clear for all to see. It's developed, it's transformed, it's much more progressive, but it's not yielding results. Mm-hmm. I don't think they've won a Premier League game. This um, year. So when you think about that form, it's very, very worrying. And another concern is their next four home games are against Arsenal, Manchester United, Liverpool, and Man City. So when you're looking mm. at where they're going to get their points, you know, it's very, very tricky. And, you know, for Crystal Palace, I mean, onwards and upwards for mm-hmm. them. And that's back to back wins now. Obviously, after beating Newcastle last week. So they're on a real upward trajectory. And what I want to see now is how are they going to try and break into that top seven, top eight? We know mm-hmm. they can survive. They've done that, but they need to really progress. And I think that's the next stage for Roy Hodgson with this Crystal Palace side. And, you know, shout out to Gary Cahill. I think he's been immense for Crystal Palace. That mm-hmm. leadership that he's shown, you know, leading them like a rock. He, mm-hmm. He's he been a very, very good addition. You know, a lot of people are saying he's damaged goods when he left Chelsea, that he's too old. But mm. he's really, you know, grabbed this Crystal Palace side by the by the horns and you know dominating his defensive jewels and also I just want to shout out Christian Menteke I know he missed you know maybe a sitter in the first half but I think I'm starting to see the old Benteke back mm. he's starting to look much more dangerous and this is highlighted by his stats I think he's registered two goal involvements in his past three Premier League appearances one goal and an assist and that's as many as he managed in his previous 34 in the competition wow. so that's mm. a stark improvement and you know Jordan Ayew Profited mm-hmm. from a, a Lovely reverse pass From Christian Benteke So Palace are looking well I've just
4: got um, Two questions To so ask you on This one I think A is um, You said How are they going to go To the next level Do you feel that You know Roy Hodgkin Should be at the helm um, To take them To the next level Or do you think They need to go for something um, Young With you know Fresh ideas
3: that's the million dollar question to be honest because Roy Hodgson if you judge his performances and what he's given to Palace he mm. deserves to be there mm-hmm. mm. but also there's an argument that you know someone else can come because with Roy Hodgson you know what you're going to get organised team that can win games mm. Mm. but a clear area where they can improve in my opinion is in that central midfield I think it's too safe mm-hmm. I think you got McCarthy McArthur and Sheik Chioti Mm. I think Milhajlovic was on the bench Mm. yesterday so I think you can add much more creative spark I know Max Meyer was brought in but that project hasn't gone well Mm. And and question
4: B is um, Wilfred Saha's miss and do you feel that that was a bad miss and what's your take on his form this season because he's only scored three goals in in around 26 appearances this season and I don't think that's good enough for someone of his quality
3: I think for his chance I think that was a bit of an acute angle and I think St. Tolson didn't help him I think St. Tolson in his mind he was going around the keeper to shoot but Wolf just happened to give him a shout Mm. which is why he left it but the angle was very tight but you
4: saw him like beating himself up he was really like hammering the floor incandescent to say the least
3: I'm not sure if that was with himself or with St. Tolson you know not Mm. giving him the ball but to be honest with your question about his form I think as a player there's a lot going on like we've spoken to professional footballers on this platform you know and for Wilf obviously not getting his big move that's likely to have played you know Mm. a big part in his mindset and thinking you know I wanted my move but I'm just going to have to settle here but I think he's a top player nonetheless people are saying he's overrated but I think he's a Quality Quality player Mm. That can play
4: At that next level Yeah but I've spoken You know to a few people That are very you know Connected um, With Crystal Palace You know some High You know people With high authority At the club And I feel They said that um, You know Wilfred Saha Is happier Than what people You know think And he's actually Quite content At Crystal Crystal Palace At the moment
3: And that's the thing. People get this impression that when they see him on the pitch that he's angry or he's screwing his face. Mm. But that's his game face. Off Mm -hmm. the pitch, you know, I remember playing with him. He was the banter guy of the dressing room. Mm. He's a jovial character and Mm. I think this perception is somewhat misguided because he's a nice guy. And, you know, he's a good player as well. Mm. And we
2: also saw a really um, strange occurrence with Shalotto kicking the ball at him mm. and getting a yellow card. That, that was fun. Right. <laughs> yeah, it was a uh, running saga. Like, that's what yeah. I wouldn't see in the game. I love the beautiful game. <laughs> <laughs> cool. Right, so now we've um, dissected each of the weekend's fixtures. We're going to round off the episode with our favourite segment in the prospect of the week. Now, for all of you who are listening in for perhaps the first time and aren't familiar with what this segment is, is the prospects of the week is not a good thing it is a figure within football that could be a player that can be a manager um it could be a coach it can literally be anybody who has been performing and playing um or playing the trade at the top level for a number of seasons however this weekend had an absolute nightmare um baggy passes overhit uh crosses um Baggy touches, rash challenges, um, goalkeeping errors, uh, poor managerial selections, um, you absolutely, you could, you name it, um, it could be any of, of, of the above and, and, and more. Um, that list is far from exhaustive. Um, so with that being said, Dot, kick us off with your prospects of the week.
4: Hmm. I was scanning through the results and I was thinking, which one sticks out like a sore farm? <laughs> um and you know, I was actually in the the area yesterday, I was in Watford. Um mm-hmm. and yeah, unfortunately I'm gonna have to run the theme on Liverpool and I think that was our worst performance, you know, under, you know, Klops and tutelage and I think a lot of the decisions made in that game was reactive. I know Mm. Deja loved, you know, harping on about managers being proactive, (laughs) you know, being proactive Mm -hmm. in the game. And when I looked at Jurgen Klopp yesterday, he was very, very reactive. I mean, you go 2-0 down, then you just chuck on Origi, hoping for him to change the game. Mm -hmm. And I think this is a bigger question for, you know, Klopp and Liverpool next season, that when you're having a bad time, Can you trust Origi to now come on and change the game? I know he's done it a few times, but do you put him on with the intentions that he is going to change the game? Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, Klopp has, you know, this is his final month to start, you know, finalizing um, his plans for the summer and to hand them over to Michael Edwards. But before I go on a tangent, I just want to say, (sighs) Jürgen Klopp. You know, I love you. It's, <laughs> it's love, and I'm not. I'm not trying to call you out, but I've got to do my job. And Klopp, you know, you know, I've got you know so much respect for you, but Klopp, if you're listening, <laughs> it pains me to say you're my prospect of the week.
3: It's interesting because you were talking about the transfer plans and Liverpool being, you know, hotly linked with you know the German centre forward uh, RB Leipzig forward mm-hmm. Timo Werner, mm-hmm. who's. Issued out a come and get me Yeah he's whored himself out <laughs>
1: yeah. The... yeah I think I think what <laughs> the position
4: is? is Is that um, Timo Werner has his You know heart set out On a move to Liverpool And I think Liverpool Actually have one month To get this deal done mm. um, I believe The release clause Is about 50 million euros yeah, 51
3: million pounds. Yeah I
4: think there's a few um, Reports saying that It's a bit lesser than that But I'm not too sure How solid those reports are And I think He's a player that will will take Liverpool to the next level.
3: He's versatile. He can play wide and up front. But yeah, just to go through uh, my prospect of the week, I've been looking through the the news that's been happening in football week mm-hmm. results, people in the headlines, mm-hmm. and you know there was one incident that caught my eye, you know, a few days ago, and mm-hmm. it involved the championship club, you no know, club that's going well in the championship. I think they're second now.
4: They won 4-0 this
3: week. Yeah, way to Hull and involved one of their players who's been prospect of the Week several times this season. I remember a game against, I think, Brentford when he let the ball roll under his foot. But this time it's not really a footballing issue. It's a racism issue. Mm-hmm. I think Kiko Casilla. he was, you know, caught or he was said to have used racist language to the... um. West Bromwich Albion, Loney, Jonathan Lecco, who's obviously at Charlton now. Mm. He abused him by calling him nigger. And he was, you know, found by independent tribunal to be guilty. Mm. And he's been given, I think, a six or eight game ban. Eight, eight game ban. Mm. Eight yeah. game ban and fined £40,000. And I think it's shocking. And when we go back to the images that we've seen from IFAB mm. about the decision makers of the game. Mm-hmm that's basically the same treatment that Luis Suarez got maybe nine years ago. Mm-hmm. So it shows the difference that what what the lawmakers are making in the game, mm-hmm. zilch, nothing. And I think this is a wider issue that if we're just issuing out these lenient sentences or these mm-hmm. lenient um, fines or whatever, mm-hmm. I think it's not going to make any difference to the game. And you need people at those levels that can empathise with someone like a Jonathan Leco mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. this punishment, in my opinion, is not that much of a deterrent, anyway. To cut a long story short, Kiko Kasia, if you're listening, <laughs> you're the prospect of the week. That's a very strong uh, point to finish on. Yeah. Um. And, and thank you
2: for sharing that. Well um, said, Edge. Well, very well said, Dej. <laughs> and um, I know we always speak about wanting to hear from our listeners, and um, you know, encouraging them to tweet us. And I think you know, there's never been more uh, uh, an important time for, for for that to happen than than now. You know, we we always try to cover these kind of mm. topics and speak about these kind of things. Yeah, but we're gonna we keep, really
4: want to. Yeah, we're it... gonna keep putting out these messages, whether they yeah. are racial incidents. We're gonna yeah. keep talking about this until we hopefully see change. Mm. We don't want to anything. We don't want to yeah. talk about it, Bud. We just want to talk about the football. But when these stuff rear their uh, um, ugly head, it just buttresses to, our mm.
3: Yeah.
2: 100% so so listeners please do uh get in touch with us and and share your thoughts you know do you agree do you disagree um uh like like we said we we we're, we're, we're going to continue to cover these kind of things uh, because they do need to be covered um but we really would like to hear your perspective and your point of view so if you if you do have a a, a point um, a perspective that you'd like to share we are more than um welcoming in terms of of hearing that and we want to um, hear from you guys so please make sure you use the hashtag tbgpod when you when you are tweeting us and we can sort of uh, retweet and get it out there as well thank you very much for listening in up until this point on the episode, it's been a fantastic one. Um, as always, we are across uh, multiple platforms: that Spotify, that SoundCloud, and Apple Podcasts. And if you are listening in on Apple Podcasts, please make sure you leave a five-star review. Your engagement, your reviews, um, your ratings—all of these things go a long way in terms of moving our, our platform forward. Um, so please, don't, don't, don't take it. Uh, we don't, we don't take it lightly. Um, every little helps, literally. Right. <laughs> Um, so please continue to help uh, spreading the word of, of the Beautiful Game podcast share it amongst your family your friends your work colleagues uh, make sure we get the, the episodes out there we appreciate all of your engagement all of your support and 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 appreciate the fact that you guys will continue to support us on our journey we really uh, appreciate all of all of your your help guys um, I think that's pretty much it rounding up mm. before I forget if you're not following us on Twitter make sure you do it's at podcast podcast underscore uh, uh, tbg you might have uh, noticed that we've got a bit of an updated uh, profile picture <laughs> you know we're always iterating we're always improving and updating things um so keep your eyes peeled stay locked uh on our platforms we're on instagram as well at pod underscore tbg and uh big things coming guys so we're yeah, gonna
4: yeah just just final point i'm mm-hmm. sorry budge um um, in the next few weeks we've got some hot stuff coming up um, we're yes. going to be juggling between match analysis and you know exclusive interviews so yeah keep your ears peeled and we hope you, you enjoy the content
3: yeah um, as Dot said we've got some real good stuff lined up mm. you know it's been a few busy days you know messaging trying to Planning, dot the eyes, crossing the T's yeah, and yeah. I'm very excited and I think our listeners are going to enjoy the content that we're going to be delivering You know, when we had our meeting in January to celebrate our one-year anniversary, Mm -hmm. it was like a celebration saying, you know what, well done for what we've achieved, but this year is going to be bigger. Mm -hmm. And yeah, so we're going to bring that content and make sure we deliver what you guys desire. And that's hot, lovely content. And it's funny
4: because that's where a lot of our good stuff comes, in those whisper meetings where we're just sitting Mm down, relaxing.
2: Mm -hmm. Definitely. 100%. And on that note, over and out. Peace.